you cannot deal with a public health crisis by putting the experts in public health into a box and basically saying to them, you shouldn't be out in public talking. But I wish that our national leadership would tell the truth. Leadership is about telling the truth. We should be listening to the experts. I'm Rob Hoyle, welcoming you back to Northwell Health's 20-Minute Health Talk, where we are picking up on part two of our conversation with Michael Dowling. Mr. Dowling is president and CEO of Northwell Health and author of the book, Leading Through a Pandemic, which is now available on Amazon. As always, I'm alongside my co-host, Chris Kazuski. Michael, we left off part one uh, discussing the innovations that came out of the pandemic. And and one of the biggest takeaways for me was at the end of the book, you provide this 13-step plan on how health systems and other organizations can deal with a viral illness if it if it comes again and one of those was uh sharing information so when we talk about innovation how critical and how important is it for organizations to share their information as we get through the crisis well in a major crisis people come together i mean we we're in a very competitive marketplace we do compete with other systems we compete compete pretty vigorously against others and they're against us but in a crisis, you come together. So when you have an invention like this or an improvement, you know, we, um, everybody was talking about, you know, having enough ICU beds. And uh, as I've said many, many, many times, any bed can become an ICU bed if you have a vent. So the issue is how many vents do you have? So we had a lot of vents, but we were running close. And then we got vents from the federal stockpile. But when the vents arrived, they had no hoses. And this has been picked up in the press. Uh, we did go to Home Depot. This talks about innovation also. I mean, the creativity that you develop in the crisis. They went to Home Depot, they got garden hoses, and they made the hoses for the vents. Um, so it's just like we had to make swabs at a certain point. The obvious right thing to do is to share the information with others. Uh, because it was we succeeded in New York because everybody worked together. Um, so we compete and we work together at the same time. I was in contact with the leaders of the other health systems three times a week. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we all had an hour, hour and a half discussion among, our, among us, all just CEOs only, uh, where we would share our experiences, talk about what would happen during the week, learn for how, you know, it, the big discussions around PPE, around testing, around the allocation of beds and supplies and people, we still do that to this day. Now, we have very few cases, but we still meet now once a week. Virtually, of course. All of this is virtual. We do it now once a week. And we talk now about uh, what improvements that we need to make and how do we continue to work together, assuming that we get a resurgence over the next couple of months. So you work together. This is what you do. You do the, in a crisis, and in, in life in general, you always try to do the right thing. Um, this is why, for example, you don't worry about the budget during crisis. You do what's right, and you figure out how to deal with the practical aspects of the budgets and other things later. In a crisis especially, you do the right thing. Um, and at the end of the day, if you do what's right, you'll always win. Yeah. You also never lose when you do what's right. Well, yeah, I was going to mention, uh, during that 13-step prescription, uh, it had some really, really good points in there. And, and I, I've heard you speak about... Northwell's preparedness and the fall. Can you just hint on like what are some of the the exercises that we've done and how how are we preparing for the fall? Well, we've gone through every aspect of um, 
uh, what we need to do, for example, uh, with the different search plans with regard to the different uh, bed capacity you need at different stages of a crisis, um, supplies, allocation of staff. Um, if we don't have uh, capacity in our, si in our facilities, uh, what kind of external facilities should we be deciding to set up and where and how? Um, and we do tabletop exercises all the time. Uh, we have another one, I believe, coming up in the next couple of days where we go through all of these scenarios. In fact, one of the scenarios is what happens if in November we have 4,000 COVID patients plus a hurricane on the same weekend? How do you deal with that? Now, you got to think out, you got to think this thing through, and you got to have the plan as if what you would do if that occurrence happened. And so all of those situations that we're going through right now, how do we deal with um, uh, testing? Uh, and what do we do, for example, with what program should be shut down to give us extra staff if you have a crisis? Where do we shut down? Um, if Javits is opened up again, as it was during this crisis, are, should we run it again? And we've decided, yes, we will. I've told the governor, yes, we will. Uh, will we know more about how to do that today than we did before? We didn't set it up before. It was set up by the army. And it was set up as if it was a shelter. It wasn't set up officially as a healthcare facility. And this is an important point. When you're dealing with people who are in dire, who have dire illnesses, it is very different than setting up a place to deal with people suffering from homeless as a result of a hurricane. Uh, because all the medical facilities and, ox and oxygens and etc. ICU capacity has to be available. And one of the lessons here is that when you set these things up, they have to be set up by people who work in healthcare, who know healthcare. They can't be set up by others who think they know about healthcare. Which really brings up an interesting point, a fascinating point in a way, is the relationship with government, the relationship you have with the governor of New York. You were able to cut away a lot of the red tape so the healthcare workers can do what they needed to do and not be bogged down with um, administrative type of things. Yeah, and the governor, um, you know, if you want to talk about leadership here, I think uh, Governor Cuomo was a wonderful positive example of leadership in action during this. I mean, he... He communicated daily with the public. He communicated factually. Uh, he, it was based on information, data, and science. It wasn't just about politics. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be in continuous contact with him. I mean, I've known the governor for a long time. I, I, uh, as people know, I did work for his father for uh, 12 years. And I was very close to his father and his whole family. And so that relationship was very, very helpful. But he was the quarterback in all of this statewide. I mean, he, he led the charge, uh, and he is still doing it. I mean, he is, uh, you know, even right now talking to us about how we prepare as we go forward and what we need to be doing and what we need to think about and how do we cooperate, et cetera. Uh, so that relationship was very, very helpful. And... Uh, Obviously, no matter what you do in these circumstances, you will have people coming back afterwards uh, just like they do on a Monday after a game on a Sunday. They always want to tell you how you should have played the game on a Sunday, mm -hmm. even though most of them never played a game in their lives. And um, uh, it's the same here. People come back and say, well, you should have done this. And that's easy to do. That's easy to do. And analysis, you know, post-analysis is important if it is done correctly, factually, and substantively. But when it is done, just to kind of so I'm going to get you because you didn't do something X, Y, Z. And it, um, th that's, that's inappropriate. But he was, um, 
he was a staunch leader during all of this. And I think we benefited in New York. And the reason in New York right now we have very, very few cases, um, we are calm, um, I think is in due to his leadership. And one other thing that's interesting here, all of the other states that subsequently, a month or two months or three months after the New York episode, when New York was at the epicenter, um, it was interesting how the other states, sometimes I believe, and I, I can, I know this because I spoke to some people in those states, they started out thinking, well, this is going to, this is a New York issue. This happens in New York, it won't happen in my place. This is why it's very, very important that if something is happening someplace else, don't assume that because it's happening there, it won't happen here. Mm. Uh, learn as much as you can about what happened there and then prepare on the assumption it is going to happen here. And um, uh, that's another lesson as we go forward. And uh, there are many here. I mean, we should be working together with all of the countries should be working together about how it is now we deal with future pandemics. Yeah, this is not a national issue. This is these are global issues that affect in countries and individuals wherever you are, but it has to be dealt with globally in the long run. Yeah, that leads us to our next segment that we like to call um, "Off Your Chest." There's a lot of misinformation out there. So, is there anything like following the science and not politics that you'd like to get off of your chest? One is that I wish that our national leadership would tell the truth consistently tell the truth. Leadership is about telling the truth. Uh, you, you, know, you, you know, dealing with alternative realities doesn't help you in a situation like this. It doesn't help you in any circumstance. Um, we should be listening to the experts. Uh, you cannot deal with a public health crisis by putting the experts in public health into a box and basically saying to them, you shouldn't be out in public talking. We should not be proposing uh, cures without empirical evidence that the cures work. You want to talk about breaking down trust? And I just saw somebody was telling me yesterday about the fact that when there is a vaccine, a real vaccine, which I hope that we don't have any, any vaccine unless we know it has been tested and proven, but somebody told me that the... Um, uh, the percentage of people that are now saying that they'd be willing to take the vac vaccine is low. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Well, because there's a lack of trust about what our public officials say. An awful situation to be in. Um, uh, it, 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 it creates this, this confusion among the public. So I, I think that we have seen in this experience good leadership and terrible leadership. And I think smart people can tell the difference. And I think smart people know the difference between who the good leaders were and who the terrible leaders were. And they can tell the difference between people who know what leadership is and people who don't have a clue about what leadership is. Um, we're better than this uh, as a country. Um, we should be, the other thing I'd like to get off my chest is we should be taking the global leadership effort today. We should be leading a global effort today to develop global surveillance systems, and global response systems. This is what the U.S. has done in the past. It did it after World War II. Um, we had an image globally as a place that others could look upon and say, the United States is taking the right, is making the right decisions for the right reasons. 
also do a segment called Knee Jerk Reactions where we say a word or, or, or a phrase and then we just get your immediate reaction. It's like the lightning round. So uh, Knee Jerk Reaction, federal, federal response, you kind of just answered it, but we'll hit it again. Federal response to COVID-19. Just absolutely awful. Deplorable in my view. Wearing masks. The right thing to do. Frontline workers. Courageous, compassionate, the real heroes. Integrated health systems. Uh, we've demonstrated the proof of what a good integrated healthcare system can do. It works if it's done right. 2021. A transition year for COVID medical. The economic aspect of this will go on for years. The, 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 down, the downward trend in the economy will take years and years to come back. Um, virtual care. The genie is out of the bottle. Virtual care will be a massive growth area in the future. The new normal or a new normal. Um, good for us to be thinking about a new normal because you never want to go back to an old normal. If you go back to the old normal, old normal, we haven't learned anything in the immediate team period. If we've learned, we go to a new normal. If we have not learned, we go backwards. Community partnerships. Absolutely essential. Uh, important for us to reach out and find the right partnerships and essential going forward. Social determinants of health. Uh, um, one of the more important areas that we have to focus on because COVID demonstrated the disproportionate effect that it had on certain communities and we have to be a leader in making sure that we get those communities and individuals in those communities better prepared for the future. So one of the things that I thought was, was, was fantastic with changing different parts of the hospitals into uh, surge units. And one of the things in the book talks about John Sendek at North Shore University Hospital, they wanted to change the cafeteria into a surge unit because they were getting so full. And he was like, we need this place for employees. We need some sense of normalcy so a, an employee can get a cup of coffee, sit down and relax. Why was that so important? Well, everything is balance. Um, you, you, you know, when you're dealing with a situation in healthcare, in any situation, especially this one, there are multiple moving parts. So you may come up with an idea that if you only look at it through one lens of one part, you see one response and one, one thing that you should do. But then when you look at other parts, you say, wait a second. And so what John did was he said, yeah, um, you know, doing something in the cafeteria, that gives us a whole resource, that gives us a, cap a capacity. But then you think, oh, wait a second, the most important thing here is how I protect the staff, guarantee the safety of the staff, treat the staff well. And one of the things that staff need is access to food. So if the cafeteria is taken away, what are you going to do with the food issue. So he made the right decision to say, okay, I know I have the capability and the capacity in the, in the cafeteria, but I, I, my, my priority is making sure that the staff are safe, that their morale is high, and that we can take care of them appropriately. Therefore, that's off, that's off limits. And then I think he even took it a step further because I guess without visitors in the hospital, there was less meals being made. And then so the kitchen staff started making meals to go for people who had long days. And now they didn't have to think about cooking yeah. when they went home. Well, you know, what's, what's amazing, I mentioned this earlier, what's amazing is that when you're in a crisis circumstance like this, 
you come up with ideas very quickly and you, mint, you implement very quickly and you become very creative. And if I said to you normal times, create 200 beds, you'd say, oh my God, this is all God difficult. How are we going to do it? Where are we going to find the time? Who are we going to, where we had the staff? Where would we put them, et cetera, et cetera? We just did it. Now it helped, I got to say, when the governor dispensed with a lot of regulations. You know, a lot of the things that, and this is another lesson, a lot of the things that impede creativity are regulations that have been in the books for years that don't serve any purpose anymore. And many of the regulations that we have been, um, have to be compliant with and have had to be compliant with should be relaxed as we go forward to allow that, that creativity to continue. Um, we don't need everybody in government looking over our shoulders every day on the assumption that we don't know what we're doing. Uh, it's very hard to be creative in a culture of overcompliance and overregulation. Mm. People get scared. In a crisis, all of those that goes away, and you begin to innovate. Now, if you look back over history, the most creative times, new developments, new discoveries, new ways of doing things, have always happened, most of the time, during times of extraordinary crisis. Imagine during the wartime, we created new equipment, you know, we'd, we developed, you know, like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of cars quickly and trucks quickly. Under normal times, you'll debate it, you'll analyze it, you'll do a business plan, you'll get all the bureaucracy together, you'll go back and forth. And in a crisis, you don't have that time. You just do. And you realize, you know, and one of the lessons here, by the way, is some of the things I keep thinking about is, can we be as innovative and as fast-moving under normal times as we were in the middle of the crisis? Yeah. This is not going back to the old normal. This is one going back to the question... It's not going back to the always. It's building upon what we know now that we can do. You know, when somebody said to me that we're going to at North Shore Hospital, that we're going to at the um, in the conference center, that we're going to remove all the uh, the chairs that were bolted to the floor and have beds in there, and we're going to do it overnight, people would say, no way. On the normal times, you would debate that for a long time. You'd probably take a week discussing it, but in the crisis, they had to do it, and overnight. I go there in the afternoon. It was a conference center. When I come back the following day, there's beds. Yeah. Done. And done seamlessly, done well. Everybody's on board. Yeah. That's the kind of speed uh, that we and, and, and efficiency that we have to maintain as we go forward now. So I think uh, that's going to bring us to a close. Michael, you always have this great sense of community and optimism. Throughout the crisis, you were out there like no other CEO, spending time in the hospitals and with our healthcare heroes. So to, to close, we like to end on a positive note. Could you just share something positive, anything our, our listeners can be optimistic about? Um, we have great people who care in this organization. We have great people in the community that care about um, doing the right thing. And if we uh, keep our eyes on the ball, focus on what's good in people, and not divide, not demean, uh, then I think that we can maximize the wonderful resources of everybody and unify around a positive purpose. And I think the future can just be great. If we look forward and learn from what we've just experienced. 
Michael, thank you so much for joining us here today. How can people get a copy of Leading Through a Pandemic? It is available through Amazon. And, um, and obviously with Amazon, you'll probably get it faster than we can deliver it to you. <laughs> thank you so much. It's a really great read. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining us. Everybody have a great day and stay safe. Get more insight from some of the leading voices in healthcare today. Subscribe to 20 Minute Health Talk on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.